Hey, so Acts 9, let me start with a bit of a story. Um, so as you know, I lived in the States for a bunch of years, and uh, I was a youth pastor, of all things, for three years, and we were living in Denver, Colorado, which was super cool, with a cool church called Smoky Hill Baptist. Isn't that like the most American-sounding name, like Smoky Hill Baptist? No, there's Agora, random stuff. Um, and it was a bit of a crazy time. So, and I, this is, I was going over this yesterday, and I was like, it sounds like I'm skiting, but I'm totally not skiting. So if you think I'm skiting... That I'm not, that's not where I'm going at all, right? Um, so I was working 20 hours a week. Joseph and I were both working 20 hours a week on the campus. I was the IT nerd or one of the IT nerds on the campus. And then you had to do 20 hours of ministry a week. So I was the youth pastor at the church. And then on top of that, doing my master's like full time. So it was like a crazy time, right? Just weeks were just like, ah, and completely nuts. And one of the things I found, and this is a bit of a confession to you, all, one of the things I found is that sometimes the youth pastoring part kind of got squeezed in rather than being a priority. Does that make sense? Because you've got assignments and all that crazy stuff. You've got to go to work, and ugh, it was a bit crazy. And sometimes, I, I, and I can totally remember, sometimes I'd be driving. It was about a half-hour drive, I think, from campus to the church. Um, and sometimes I remember driving there for youth and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm prepared, but... Not 100% prepared. Does it make sense? Are you with me? Yeah, because it's just a crazy time and whatever. So anyway, so one of the young guys whose name I won't say, I keep wanting to say it, but I won't say it. <laughs> one of the young guys who was awesome, um, cool family, crazy family, but cool family. Um, he, him and some mates decided to go and rob a convenience store, as you casually do when you're like 16, right? Just as they went to walk into the store, and they'd done the stupid hype up, and we're the man, and we're gangsters, and all this stupid stuff, and just as they went to walk in the store, one of the other guys handed this young guy, who was the loveliest guy ever, a handgun, and without thinking, because they're all hyped and being stupid, he just took the gun, and they went in, and one of the guys was like, shoot, the, you know, aim at the guy, aim at the guy, so he's pretending to shoot, and all this, and next minute, cops arrested, chaos, and then he's all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I get a phone call, went and visited the family who were just devastated and stuff. So long story long. Um, so he gets, got sent to juvie, right? So juvenile detention. Now, I must have watched the wrong movies because I thought juvenile detention was going to be more like, not like a camp, but kind of that idea, like big open halls and all this kind of stuff. And so when I went up to visit him, it was like, oh my, this is like a real prison. And then I clicked, well, he's been using a handgun in a robbery. They don't like put him into summer camp sort of thing. Um, went to see him and it was so this is this kind of like, you know, in your life you have some times that just kind of make you go, oh man, I need to focus. It like changes you. Does it make sense, eh? To me, this was one of these big times where I was sitting in, and it's a full-on prison with the tiny windows, the tiny rooms and guards everywhere and gates and very full-on. And I was sitting there with this kid, 16 or so years old, and he just, he realizes now he's stuffed his life for a long time. He was going to be in there for several years and there was all these other consequences and stuff. And and I just stood there, I sat there, I was sitting with him, and I was like, so this kind of sounds a bit weird, but this is what I, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm this guy's pastor, have I been putting in 100%? <laughs> now, and I know it was a crazy season, we all have seasons that are nuts, but it was kind of like, man, if I want to be his pastor, I need to be his pastor, I need to do my best, doesn't make sense, eh? So for me, it was one of those times where I think God kind of used some clicky, you know, kind of click, click, <laughs> the importance of of that, that job, that role, that whatever, eh? Um, and I think for all of us, we have times in our lives, right? So take a second and think. Can you think, is there some times in your life where you've had one of those kind of experiences, one of those times where you're just kind of like, man, this is a defining moment for me. This is a changing moment for me, right? Um, and in Acts 9, as um, Sarah read, shot Sarah, Acts 9 is one of those massive 
defining, life-changing times, right? And you see, it's quite a crazy passage, and I'm going to unpack it a bit, but the, the change in, in Saul, one minute he's literally trying to kill Christians, and the next minute he's like the greatest Christian we've ever had. He's the best theologian, he's the best evangelist, the best missionary, wrote most of the New Testament, so the majority of the New Testament is written by this guy. And you're like, but one minute he's killing us, and the next minute he's like our best guy. It's like, what the heck happened? So... Talk about a defining moment, man. Um, hopefully you're reading through Acts. So I know a bunch of us, like we had those little bookmarks. If you need another one, there's some on the Connect desk and you can kind of be reading through um, Acts. Some people who remain nameless are already on their second time through and they're kind of skiding. So I'm like, unbelievable. I'm still on my first time through, but kind of cool. But I'm just loving it. And I've, I've talked to a couple of people this week who said they're meant to just read one chapter for that day, but they get to the end of the chapter and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I'm just going to read the next chapter, right? Which is super cool. Um, I'm just loving reading through Acts. Eh? Hey, so to kind of get the craziness of this, this total life change, we need to go back a little bit. And, um, and I, I need you to get how, like Christine talked about it at the beginning of chapter 9, where it's like he's, with every breath, he's like wanting to kill Christians. Um, and you see it really clearly at the beginning of chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, um, go over to chapter 8. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. I know Sarah read this before, but I'm just going to read just some little bits as we go through. Oh, no, sorry, she didn't read this, but she read um, chapter 9, which we'll read some bits. So let me read this. So this is chapter 8. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 3. Oh, and just so you know, sorry, there's always this crazy confusion. Is he Saul? Is he Paul? What's going on? So it's same name, right? So Saul is his Hebrew name, his name in Hebrew, and then Paul is just his Roman name or in Latin. Does that make sense? So same guy. It's not like he was Saul, the murderer, and then he became a Christian and changed his name to Paul. It's like, no, his same name is just depending on whether you're talking Hebrew or, um, or speaking in Latin or Greek. Okay, um, Saul, Paul, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to try and call him Paul because it just gets real confusing, but I know I'll stuff it up, so whatever. So Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So this is a real key phrase. So if you remember just before this, um, Stephen has been killed, right? And they stoned him. And stoning back then was the most horrible way to die, like big rocks the size of a head. That most um, towns would have a, a stoning pit outside where they'd stone people. It was hideous, right? Um, and, and Saul agreed with this, right? This is how much he hates Christians. And then you carry on reading. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, which takes us back to Acts 1.8. Remember I preached on that, which is kind of like, ooh, this is Acts 1.8 happening. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, um, verse 2. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. And this is the key one. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. <laughs> he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women um, to throw them into prison. And the, the clear implication is not just to throw them into prison, but to have them um, killed, right? Um, a bunch of, uh, like, when you're studying the stuff, you read commentaries. There are people who comment on it, right? So heaps of the commentaries I was talking about were like, what's changed in, in Saul? At one minute, he's just giving um, assent to the death of Stephen. That the next minute, he's running around killing Everyone, right? He's just on this mission. And they're like, that's the first change. He's the big change when he becomes a Christian, but there's this other big change. And what most of them refer back to is that, um, and if you haven't read it, go back to chapter 7 and read it, because it's just amazing, is Stephen's speech right before he gets stoned. And a lot of them talk about the two things that changes Saul to be this angry, wanting to kill everyone guy, is the speech of Stephen is just so powerful, and then the way he dies. And if you read it, you read the way he dies, it's like, whoa, that is really divine. And, and Saul then goes, oh my gosh, 
this Christianity thing is not just some fly-by-night religion, give it a few weeks and it'll be gone thing. There's something to this that if we don't stamp it out, it's going to mess with Judaism, right? So I've got a quote here that I want to read um, that, that says this, right? Um, it's in two parts, so here's the first part. Um, Stephen's brilliant analysis of the irreconcilable differences between Orthodox Judaism and the faith of the Nazarenes, so Jesus of Nazareth, so saying Christians, right? Um, in the speech before the Sanhedrin had finally made it clear to Paul that the teaching was no innocuous delusion which had possessed a handful of simple Galilean fishermen and their supporters, inducing them to believe that the mad carpenter of Nazareth had been the Messiah. So what he's saying is the speech and the way Stephen dies has made Saul go, hang on a minute, that is not a crazy bunch of Galilean fishermen. That is not people following this mad carpenter. There's something to this, but if we don't squash it out, it's going to mess with Judaism. And this is the, the second half of the quote. On the contrary, this was a blasphemous heresy which threatened to undermine the authority of the temple and the law, which perverted the scriptures, which was leading gullible people astray, and which therefore must be stamped out. Man, I just love that quote, because it, it, to me it helps me get while, while Saul is on a mission. He is on a mission to just destroy and kill every Christian he can find, because he now sees it's grunty, and it's going to just, if he doesn't stamp it out, it's going to really mess with Judaism. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So this led me to a bit of a question. Now, this is a bit of a full-on question, so I'm going to chuck it up on the screen, but if this messes with your head at all, <laughs> I'd love to catch up with you for a coffee, or Joe's, or one of the elders, or someone wise in the church, right? Catch up with them and, and, and talk about this, okay? Um, so this is my question. <laughs> How do you know you're not a deluded fisher person? <laughs> How do you know you're not following the mad carpenter of Nazareth? How do you know that you're right? That's my question. Um, there's a lot of people out there that would die for Krishna or Allah or da 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 da, da. <laughs> and they would argue that they are right and we are wrong. So what are you basing your faith on, right? So here's my, my little questions. A um, couple of questions. What makes you believe Christianity is the correct way of salvation? What are some of the factors that strengthen your faith, right, that, that really ground you in this and go, no, this is true, Right. So we're going to discuss it, but always this is the thing. If you're a visitor and you're like, hang on, this question's freaking me out or I just need to process it or God's talking to you, then if you stare at the screen, that's the signal to the people around you to leave you alone. Or you might just not want to talk to people, which is all good. So if you look at the screen, then that's the signal. So if someone's staring at the screen, leave them alone because they might be hanging out with God. But if they're not staring at the screen, then fair game, right? So we're just going to take a few minutes. So move around, turn around, grab a couple of people and have a little chat about this and then we'll carry on. All good? All good. Shut down. I, we well, don't come up here, just focus back over here. My shady Tadeo. All good? Um, I think this is like one of the most crucial questions, yeah? So if you believe you're in a relationship with Jesus and you can't answer that, then I kind of plead with you, meet with someone cool, um, someone you respect who's a bit further down that Christian journey than you and say, man, can we just have a chat? What am I really basing my faith on? Because the stronger that is, the stronger your relationship with Jesus, the more you want to serve and do stuff. It makes sense, eh? Yes, Craig, it totally makes sense. Shot team. Oh, this church and feedback. Amazing. All right. Hey, so I've got a couple of points I want to bring out from, the, um, from this passage. 
So here's the first one. And this one just totally, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, the deep connection between Jesus and his church, right? The deep connection between Jesus and his church. To me, this is just awesome. So let's read these verses again um, that Sarah read before. So again, if you've got your Bible, good to follow along, eh? Um, verse 3, 4. We'll just read 3, 4. Okay. Um, as he, Saul, Paul, was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, and I love this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, now, if you think about it, that totally doesn't make sense, right? Totally doesn't make sense to Saul. And to us, it's like, what? Because what should it say? Jesus should say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the ones that I love? But the thing that gets me, I got like ridiculously excited about it this week when I kept reading about this. It's like he's literally saying when you persecute one of the church, one of the Christians, it's exactly the same as if you're persecuting me, as if you're attacking me, as if you're harming me, right? Do you get that, eh? Oh, I, I just keep getting really excited about this. Jesus sees the connection between him and us as way more vital than we ever do, I think. Way more vital. And one of the things that freaked me out, oh, I need to say this first. To me, this makes so much sense then why God says in Ephesians 1.19 that his power is for us because we are so connected with the Son of God. You are not just some random person wandering around on this planet or maybe at the moment struggling to get by on this mad planet. You are someone so loved by Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, that he sees you and him as divinely and intimately connected. Um, the things that you worry about, he, he doesn't worry about, but he's there to empower you. The things that you're fearful of, he's not fearful of, but he's there to empower you and connect with you. The times that you're just so overwhelmed and you're calling out, Jesus, he's already there because he indwells you. Um, oh, I just love that, that Jesus sees that to, to Saul and kind of <laughs> melts his brain. Um, I don't know, this next comment's a little bit rude, but I'm, I don't know, I need to say it anyway. I'm just really worried that some of us aren't getting this. <laughs> and some of us are connected to Jesus, but we're not experiencing him. <laughs> we're connected, but we're not experiencing him, right? So let me tell you a stupid illustration, right? Um, so I remember reading years ago that one of the sexiest things a husband can do is the vacuuming. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Go Sarah. Um, so I do the vacuuming at home, right? Not because of that. It's just silly. Um, so I always do the vacuuming at home, which I hate. I hate vacuuming, but it's a long story, me and Joe's. Um, and I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, right? But I'm blaming this on COVID. So about two months ago, uh, well, I wouldn't even be that long ago. Anyway, I was doing the vacuuming, got the vacuum out, um, plugged it in, went over, you know, hit the button on the vacuum cleaner, nothing. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, because I already hate the vacuuming, so I'm already in an angry mood. I put on headphones with worship music to try and keep me calm, but I was just tacked off with a stupid vacuum cleaner. And um, I time myself. I'm, like, hyper-competitive, so I always time myself to see how quickly I can do the vacuuming. I do a good job, but it's pretty fast vacuuming. I usually carry the vacuum because then you can go faster. But anyway, so it wouldn't go, and I was like, come on, I'm on the clock. What's happening? And so I was like, oh, I bet, because I don't know anything about vacuum cleaners, right? So I was like, I bet you there's a switch in the vacuum cleaner that when the bag gets too full, it just won't start, which makes sense. Yeah, totally. 
which is totally not true. <laughs> and so, and then I was like, man, I haven't changed this bag for like ever. I wonder how full it is. So then, and like whoever designed vacuum cleaner bags is just a psychotic, horrible person. Because trying to get the vacuum cleaner bag out, I had to squeeze the thing, pull it, it was ridiculous. Meanwhile, I'm ticked. So you gotta remember I'm angry and I'm just <laughs> So I finally got it out and then the bag was so tight, you really couldn't even squash it. And I was like, wow, how did this thing even suck when it's this tight? So I found another bag, which getting that next bag plugged back in, even worse than getting it off. Just, you need like a pH, it was just, ugh. So I got it in and there's a special filter thing you meant to chain. I was just like, ah. So I finally got it all together, hit the button, nothing. And I was like, man, what have I done? It's just ticked off, right? Luckily, Joseph's not home or she would have, I don't know. I was going to say, hear me saying a bad word, but I don't, I'm a pastor. I would never say that. Um, wouldn't still go, and I was so ticked. And then I went, oh, went to the wall, click. And I was like, what an idiot, right? Not even turned on. Okay, here's my thing. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. And I say this with love, right? I'm just really worried that some of us are like my vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Full of dust. No. I'm just really worried that some of us are like my vacuum cleaner, right? We're plugged in to God. We are connected with God. We are saved. There's no question about that. We are one with Jesus, as he said, right? We're one with him. But it's like we're not turned on at the wall. We're just not experiencing him. We're not experiencing his power. We're not having times of worship alone, you know, where we're just overwhelmed by his love and his presence, Maybe we're not serving in the church, so there's no times when we're doing something for Jesus that you just feel so empowered by him, you just want to, like, scream, you know? We're plugged in, but we're not turned on. So here's my question for you. Um, are you turned on at the wall with Jesus? Are you really experiencing his power? And I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily meaning in the crazy sense, right? I'm just meaning that joy and that presence and that closeness and... I just love how Jesus says that, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You mess with one of mine, you're messing with me. Because that connection is so intimate, so powerful. Okay, so that's that first point. Here's the second one. This one's kind of crazy. Um, well, um, the humiliation of Saul, the murderer, the humiliation of Saul. This is a real crazy, crazy point. I never thought about this until I, um, until I was reading it this week, so... Let's go here, Acts 9. So if you've got your Bible again, Acts 9. Just going to read verses um, 8 and 9. So he's had this blinding light, and there's this voice um, from, from heaven. And then verse 8, it says, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions, and this little bit here is, I think it's hilarious, sad hilarious. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there three. Uh, he remained there blind for th- three days and did not eat or drink. Um, I love this quote. Right, um, look at this quote. One moment he was storming up the road, determined to capture and imprison Christians, and then soon thereafter, he's led like a child by the hand into Damascus. Now, this last line to me is just like, Bush. God's grace is often displayed in great, powerful acts and in apparent catastrophes. <laughs> Let me read that line again, eh? Um, God's grace is often displayed in great, powerful acts and in apparent catastrophes. So often for me, when everything is hitting the fan, an apparent catastrophe is when I finally open my eyes enough to see God. He was always there. He was always working. 
but too often I miss him because my eyes are blinded by my own perceived strength and power or my own arrogance. <laughs> um, the humbling of Paul, this humbling of Saul, right? He is the man. He would have had a huge crew of guys with him off to kill these stinking Christians and in the next minute, someone takes him by the hand like a little kid and leads him. Just so humbled, eh? Oh. Um, I don't know. I, I wanted to illustrate this point, and this illustration is kind of weird, so I don't know. There's a couple of things at church at the moment that are just stressing me off the charts, right? Just so stressing me. A couple of ministry things, and I am losing sleep, and I'm freaking out, and I know I'm a Christian. I should just leave it with Jesus, but I do, but then I get stressed, and then I catch myself, and I give it back to God, and then I catch myself, and I'm all stressed and freaking out, and I wake up in the night stressed and freaking out about it, and I'm like, no, and I'm praying, and Leave with God, and, I, oh, and it's just this last week and a half I've been so stressed about it, um, praying and all that good Jesus stuff. And then um, I think it was Thursday afternoon, I got two emails that were just hilarious. And the, so there's two issues, right? Um, kind of linked, but not really. And the first one, this one email took it from ah to oh, this is going to be fine. Shot whoever did that. That was excellent. Shot Max. It's Max. I love him. And it was so crazy. And I literally, I because I was working on my sermon and all that stuff, and I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a apparent catastrophe where God's like, ta-da. Now, he only kind of took it to 75%. He's still got some work to do. And I was like, hey, if you want to just send me another email that gets me the rest of the way, it'd be kind of cool. But, but I just thought it was so interesting. God's timing, an apparent catastrophe for me, and I just totally saw God. It was real out of the blue, real freaky. This person emails, and, it, and it's like, oh, how, what, oh, this is so, so cool. I love it, eh? I love it. Um, you see this massive change in the life of Saul. Like I said, he goes from killing Christians to being the best theologian, the best preacher, the best evangelist, the best missionary, the biggest writer of, um, of the whole New Testament, um, I find it real interesting that it looks like he actually becomes a Christian way before Ananias comes. So we're going to read about Ananias in a second. But when Ananias, um, when Jesus talks to Ananias and sends him to um, Saul, he says he's already praying. He's already calling out to Jesus. And my theory is in these three days. So he's a, a Jewish leader. So as a Jewish leader, he would have had to memorize the Torah, so the first five books of the Old Testament. But he also would have been expected to memorize the entire Old Testament. I'm like... Shut up. It's a lot to memorize. That was normal, right? And I find it really interesting that God blinds him. And all he can do for three days, I reckon, is just remember scriptures, remember scriptures. And I now imagine him for three days. He doesn't eat, doesn't drink. He's just sitting somewhere. And he's just going over all these scriptures, remembering, oh, my gosh, I now get it, that verse in Zechariah. Oh, my gosh, that verse in Genesis. Oh, my God. And realizing Jesus is the Messiah. And there's this massive change. So when Ananias comes and prays, he's like, ready to go. Oh, I just love it, eh? I love it. Um, how about you, eh, in your life? Um, has Jesus made some dramatic changes in your life? One of the things I do quite often is I look back over the last six months and I want to see, am I a little bit more like Jesus? A little bit, sometimes it's tiny. A little bit more like Jesus than I was six months ago, eh? Um, or am I still the same? Because if I'm still the same, then we need to sort that out, because that's not normal. I love this verse from, um, from Corinthians that talks about this. Um, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. 
And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us, and this is the bit I love, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And I love that it's more and more. So often it's real slow and it's real subtle. That's why it's really good to just keep looking back eh, and go, am I a little bit more loving than I used to be? Am I a little bit slower to anger? Am I a little bit more gracious, faithful? You know what I mean, eh? And just reflect on that. I love this, this huge change, this huge change. Okay, hey, last point. And this one to me is hilarious. And if you're like me, this one's hilarious and this is you. But if it's not you, then you're probably lying, I think. I don't know. Hey, let's read these verses. So this is the fearful obedience of Ananias, right? The fearful obedience of Ananias. So we're just going to read verses 10 to 14. Um, and I, I just find this absolutely hilarious. So I'll try and read it without interrupting it. But knowing me, I'll fail. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And I love this. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias, which is just his name. Anyway, yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, which is interesting, still there. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's two main streets in Damascus, and one of them's called Straight Street, still there. I was like, oh, my gosh. I just thought that was super cool. Anyway, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's pr- now, remember the beginning of the chapter that Christine read? Remember the beginning of chapter 8? Saul's job, if you looked at his job description at the moment, it would just say kill Christians, right? And Jesus is saying to Ananias, bro, could you go and pray for him? And it's like, what? He's praying to me right now. So he's already praying. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And I love this verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, <laughs> basically go. I just love that, eh? Um, I always find this really funny because it's kind of like he's saying to Jesus, look, I know you know everything, but just in case you forgot who Ananias is, and he kind of reminds him as if Jesus is like, oh, bro, totally missed it. Thanks. Don't go then, you know? And I love Jesus' response is just go. And he's like, okay, fine. Now, here's the thing. I was cracking up thinking about it, because that's what we do all the time, right? I do. I know God's calling me to do something or stop doing something, and I'm like the justifying wizard. I'm just like, well, hang on. Can we talk about this? And then I just hear him go, go or stop or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was thinking, how terrified would Ananias have been walking up Straight Street, right? Because it's not just Saul. Saul didn't come by himself. He's with a whole crew of Christian haters that have, they saw a light, but they didn't understand the voice. So they still hate Christians and want to kill all Christians. They're probably still at the same house. So I just imagine Ananias walking up the street with this whole son of God serving Jesus. Or, oh, freaking as he goes up. Oh, I just love it. I'm laughing a lot more than you guys, but that's okay. I'll, I'll pray for you all. Oh, so funny. Um, yeah, I just find that hilarious. Okay, and let me finish with this, eh? Um, Ananias hears this very clear call from Jesus in a vision of all things, right? And yet he still questions. He's still like, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Um, And like I said, that's something we all do. I do all the time. You guys are probably way more spiritual than me, and you hear Jesus and you go, right? No. Um, So here's my final question, and I want you to kind of just think about this for a minute. Is there anything that Jesus is asking you to do right now that you've been kind of debating with him, doing an Ananias, are you sure? (laughs) Um, Is there anything that Jesus is asking you not to do, which is often the other side, right? That again, you're debating with him and like, well, you know. (laughs) Um, 
I, I never hear God audibly. Um, I've never had a vision like Ananias has. But I just know in my soul, right? Remember, I'm connected with Jesus, that first point. I know in my soul when he's calling me to do something or stop doing something, eh? Um, what about you? Is there anything that he is calling you to do? Uh, maybe it's something really small, something really easy, um, but often it's something huge, right? Something huge. Um, so here's my encouragement to you. I'd, I'd like to encourage you to meet with someone to pray about it because often that can really solidify it. And it moves it from the, I think, to the, oh, right, he's really talking to me on this.